Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting from the Oilfield Expert Studios. Oilfield Experts, where you get the right products right now. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. Welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. I'm your host, Kim Bellotto, and today we have a great show lined up for you. We're going to be joined by Brent Bennett, Ph.D., and also the public policy director for Life Powered, a conservative think tank for the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Our discussion today is talking to Brent about the EPA's regulatory powers and how they have expanded to a dangerous precedence and what that means for you and me and our pocketbooks. But before we bring on Brent, I'd like to tell you about the latest issue of Shell Magazine. Our cover features Brian Freed, who is the CEO of Epic Midstream, a great company, fabulous CEO, as well as a $5 billion company. It's a story that you don't want to miss. For your free digital issue, be sure to visit shalemag.com, that's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com, to get your free digital issue of the latest issue of Shell Magazine. And if, by chance, you happen to be in the Midland, Odessa area on October 28th, feel free to join us at our all-stream mixer. It'll be located in the Doubletree Houston Sky Bar. It's a mixer you do not want to miss because it's all streams. We will have wonderful door prizes as well as a great discussion from our speaker. For information and tickets, please be sure to visit shellmag.com and click on the ticket link banner at the top. We also have an upcoming mixer scheduled for November 17th in Houston, Texas. It is at the beautiful Fogo de Chao in the Woodlands area. Our speakers will consist of the Vice President of Halliburton, Paul Shepard, along with the Honorable Jason Isaac from the Texas Public Policy Foundation Life Powered Unit. So be sure to go to shellmag.com and get your tickets because both of these events will be a sold out event. And lastly, Let me tell you about our upcoming annual State of Energy Luncheon in beautiful Houston, Texas at the Houston Club. It's scheduled for December 2nd. This will be a sold-out event as it is every year. Get your tickets now, and for sponsorship, you're welcome to go to shellmag.com. Some of the speakers that will be visiting the luncheon is Chairman Wayne Christian of the Texas Railroad Commission, along with Sean Strawbridge, CEO of the Port of Corpus Christi, just to name a few. Once again, to get more information on the State of Energy Luncheon happening December the 2nd at the beautiful Houston Club, please be sure to visit shellmag.com, purchase your tickets for our mixer, sponsor the event for the luncheon, and read all about the latest and free digital issue at shellmag.com. And now it's time for me to welcome on my co-host, David Blackman, and the editor of Shell Magazine. David, welcome to this week's show. Hey, it's another beautiful day in the oil patch. It is, and we've got a lot to talk about pertaining to uh, natural gas prices, as well as uh, some changes that are occurring in pricing. I want you to pull out the crystal ball, but first I want to talk about this monstrosity of a $3.5 trillion (laughs) budget reconciliation bill that's going on in Washington. I'm just going to ask you to start with your opinion. I mean, obviously, uh, the um, EMPs or the, you know, the 
exploration and production companies or associations are heading to D.C. They're mm -hmm. attempting to try to work on behalf of the oil and gas industry. But just in its current form right now, which we believe it will change to a degree, how bad is it for the oil and gas industry? What what do you see happening besides killing all kinds of jobs, I can imagine, because yeah. that's what, you know, these people in D.C. like to do is kill jobs. But go ahead. <laughs> it seems <laughs> like it. it. That is what it'll do, and not just in the industry, but throughout the economy. I, you know, it's a it's a very bad bill for the oil and gas industry. There's all kinds of new taxes, uh, big new methane regulation, a tax on natural gas uh, at the wellhead uh, as when it goes into a pipeline, when it goes to a processing plant, and when it goes to the end user. Uh, you know, a four stage new tax on natural gas, which will raise everyone's home heating bills, everyone's electricity bills, uh, and the cost of food and- And their and gas their at the pump and, and their clothes yeah, and- Bottled water, anything that uses plastic. Um, In other words, just, everything you use, every single yeah, thing you use is gonna go up because of this. So it, it affects it you too. Mm -hmm. And not, will, not and, by a little bit, quite And this is part of why, I think it's important to tell our listeners, this is part of why Congress you know, uh, particularly the Democrats, this is a Democratic bill, don't want a bill like this to go through normal order and have committee hearings and, you know, spend weeks debating on these provisions and really informing the public about what's happening. Because if you inform the public mm -hmm. uh, that, hey, the cost of literally everything you buy is going to rise dramatically as a result of this bill, you know, the public may not want you to pass this bill. Um, there's a lot of other stuff in here. There's, there's all sorts of uh, tax increases on individuals. In addition to the inflation it's going to create, there is almost $300 billion in additional giveaways to wind, solar, and electric vehicles, the favored uh, industries. Uh, of the current Democratic now, now Party. Let, now let's talk about that quick because we're going to switch gears yeah. just a little bit. Okay, so there's all these, they already get enough funding or they already get plenty of funding. But let's talk about the switch gears. The natural gas prices, they're at an all-time high and a lot of it mm -hmm. comes back from other countries, especially like Europe, that are buying natural gas from us. And I want to start with since we were talking about these uh, in this $3.5 trillion uh, reconciliation bill, there's more money in there to continue to push it further. But what, tell me what's happening in Europe of why are they having to buy from us again? Well, yeah. And so what's happened in Europe, especially in Germany, France and Spain uh, and, and some of the other EU countries, uh, is they all decided, you know, over the last 10, 15 years to go heavily to wind power in their power generating mix. Um, that hasn't worked out well for them. Uh, Germany in particular is actually having a shortage of wind, period. Uh, the wind has stopped blowing as much in Germany for some reason. And so uh, they're not getting the electricity power generation that they had anticipated from wind, uh, which is inefficient generator of electricity in any event. Uh, and so they're having to go back onto natural gas and, and build more natural gas plants and 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 run the natural gas plants they already have uh more more during the day so that's created a new demand for natural gas in europe uh, russia uh for whatever reasons has kind of curtailed the supply <laughs> coming in from the east and so these countries are uh, importing higher and higher volumes from the united states in the form of lng and from Qatar and australia who are the big exporters of lng and that has created higher prices in Europe. 
uh, you know, we, we were talking earlier, you know, about the fact that uh, we used to have a self-contained market for natural gas in the United States before the LNG export industry began to boom. But now it's become more of a global market. And so uh, what's happening in Europe can have an influence on prices here in the United States. And and that's what's happening. And um, what do you say? To we, the, what do you say to the listener that says, well, yeah, let them buy from us. It's good for good for us, isn't it? But then when we go back to the three point five trillion dollar bill, we keep giving money to the same thing here, trying to move in that same direction, are we not? Right. And are we yeah. not learning a lesson from, well, they're just, I, I, I'm not against them, but are they as reliable as good old oil and gas? No, they're not. And, and you know, it's not reliable. It's, it's sporadic energy generation. I mean, look at California. California is the exact same story mm-hmm. as, as Germany, okay? They went heavily to wind. Wind is inefficient. Wind is not generating what California needs them to generate. And over the last few weeks, uh, the governor of California has had to authorize heavier reliance on natural gas and delay the shutting down of a nuclear power station in California, because suddenly they realize that they have to actually have reliable energy generation on their power grid. We're, we're moving in that same direction in Texas. We're, we're, we're just overbuilding wind, overbuilding solar, uh, and not building base load capacity, capacity, new new natural gas generating capacity. And we saw the, the results of that in February, that's uh, right. despite all the propaganda that's yeah. been in the media. Some people and, were without electricity for three, five. Right. You were one of them. This was the problem that you experienced as we were relying here in Texas on wind and solar, which didn't right. perform in a huge snowstorm. And so we, I just keep wondering why we don't see these things and start snapping as a, a just as a population like look um, obviously these subsidies you're trying to push them on everyone for for political reasons I'm sure or just to try to diversify but there's a proper way in my mind to diversify and not leave everybody vulnerable right. either right. so let's talk about um, there's also discussion about a bill to raise in, in the 3.5 trillion raise the royalty rates and mm-hmm. from, on new federal leases and that's from 12.5 to 18.75 is that a good thing or a bad thing? And if so, why? Uh, you know, I think it's a fairly benign thing. Personally, I, I know some uh, producers who produce on federal lands are going to object to it and object to me saying that. But it, look, the, the average royalty rate in a private lease in Texas and elsewhere in the United States really over the last 20 years has been 25%. That's that's basically the standard royalty rate. That's certainly what... Uh, landowners in South Texas want for their royalties. And the federal government, the the 12.5% rate was established 50 years ago, um, even longer ago than that, and hasn't risen. Um, So the thing is, as you raise that royalty rate, you're going to have fewer companies bidding on those federal leases, and it could have an effect of reducing production on federal lands going forward, because this only applies to new leases. but, you know, so it's kind of a balancing act. I mean, the, the government's rate today is certainly makes those leases more competitive for capital dollars. And uh, it just depends on does the, the federal government want to actually sell those leases or not. And as they raise the royalty rate, the fewer leases they're going to sell. Well, and this goes back to the $3.5 trillion budget reconciliation. It just seems like there's so much that they are pushing through. This is just one of two other bills that they're trying to get pushed through. And I guess 
the one that scares me the most is this one because of all the all that's in there, the implications for oil and gas. And I'm glad to see that the um, associations are heading to D.C. and that they are getting involved in this. Uh, because I think that if this is passed anywhere close to its current form, it, we really will start seeing a thinning of the herd of, of EMPs, and it's going to definitely hurt the oil and gas industry and then, of course, the ultimate c consumer. Um, do you think that there will be a chance that they can modify it to a degree that everybody can live with? Well, I, you know, I hope so. I know the, the there's a group of Texas Democrats. Uh, Henry Cuellar is, mm -hmm. is leading that group. Um, and doing great work and trying to get some of these worst provisions out of it. Um, you know, it's that's what it's going to take because, I mean, the Democrats are in the majority. Right. Uh, Joe Manchin and Kristen Sinema, the senator from Arizona, they're up involved uh, are in, yeah. in the Senate side. You know, they're they're Let's, objecting to some of this and hopefully uh, cooler heads can right. prevail. Also. Let's hope they get somewhere because we're definitely going to need some form of a different type of bill versus this 3.5 as is. David, that yeah. is all the time we have. When we come back, we will be joined by Brent Bennett, Ph.D., and also the Public Policy Director for Life Powered. You're listening to an Old Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. And now it's time to welcome on our guest, Brent Bennett, PhD, who is the policy director for Life Powered. Brent, welcome back to End the Oil Patch Radio Show. Thank you. Great to be back, Kim. You know, we have you guys on regularly because I, I want to start off with the Texas Public Policy Foundation. Just to give uh, our listeners an understanding of the really great work that you guys do and how they can get involved and get engaged with you guys. So, so let me begin with that. First of all, you're the policy director for Life Powered, which is a very specific area that you guys focus on things in energy. Can you walk me through, first of all, Powered Life and then Texas Public Policy Foundation and its mission, if you will? Yeah, so uh, TPPF is the uh, primary conservative um, limited government think tank for the state of Texas. Uh, we consider ourselves to be one of the largest think tanks outside of D.C. Um, in the country. Uh, Life Powered is our energy initiative. Our, our, our tagline is to raise America's energy IQ. Uh, so we focus, Life Powered focuses a lot on uh, you know, energy policy within Texas, especially after what happened in February and the storm and, and everything that followed from that. But we also do a lot outside of Texas. Um, we're enga currently engaged in a couple of multi-state efforts, um, especially regarding helping other states fix their electric grids and some of the problems that they've experienced. And, and we also do a lot of work in, in D.C. because obviously what, what goes on in D.C. Uh, has an effect on, on, what, on you know, the energy industry in Texas and, and across the country. So we're very engaged up, up there as well. And so uh, that's, that's – uh, uh, that's why, you know, the, the subject of our conversation today, this paper on engagement finding, that's one of the things that we, we engage in. Well, before we get into um, some of the more serious topics pertaining to the EPA and their regulatory powers, you, you had written a report for Texas Public Policy um, pertaining to this, and I want to get into that, but I also want to recognize that you all are one of the few groups here in Texas. We all understand Brent, that uh, oil and gas exploration here in Texas, well, it's a key driver to our economy. It provides, you know, hundreds of thousands of jobs statewide, high-paying jobs, so it's important. And yet, through the Honorable Jason Isaac, when he was 
uh, at the Capitol serving, he uh, was able, or a group of them were able to figure out that we had absolutely no curriculum being taught to our school kids. Um, and you guys were successful in getting this passed. And now I understand that we will actually have children learning a little bit about oil and gas in school, which is, it's mind boggling to me that Texas never had this curriculum in school. Yeah, no, thank you for bringing that up. And, and yeah, the, um, we have, currently we have in place uh, the beginnings of a, of a te continuing technical education curriculum that will uh, provide, you know, high schoolers and electives that, where they can go learn more about energy. Uh, previously, if you wanted to, to learn about energy in high school, you had to go through the agriculture uh, cluster. We never had a cluster for energy. Um, so that's being uh, developed and uh, promulgated throughout various school districts right now. Uh, we're still in a long process of getting school districts to kind of uh, uptake that and to incorporate it. Um, we're also working really hard on, on improving the, the science standards for the state um, to have a, a more complete and balanced view of, of energy uh, within the science standards and also some of the other standards for, uh, for the TEKS exams, which, which flow into the development of middle school and high school curriculum. So that's a, that's a really important that, you know, our kids in, in, that our kids in, in Texas understand where energy comes from. It's such a big part of our economy, and yet we're, like you said, we've, we've been falling behind in terms of teaching our kids about where energy comes from and giving them good, unbiased information uh, about that. Well, not to mention the fact that I think that there's a lot of parents that struggle with how to have a meaningful discussion with their children on uh, climate change. I mean, it is a huge topic. It's a complicated topic. And just having some fundamentals of understanding how all these different components of energy fit in and how they kind of do bleed from one into another, meaning you cannot really have solar or wind without oil and gas because they're byproducts, they're created by oil and gas. So there's a lot of discussion that I think that once if they were to cover this in school and have just a basic understanding, it might actually alleviate a lot of this climate change uh, crisis, if you will, scarce, scarcity that's happening with our kids in school, and maybe also, um, you know, just kind of give the parents a little bit more reassurance that there's some discussion going on in a meaningful way to help, you know, young people understand the importance of it. Because I do believe as important as it is to look at climate change and, and we're all, I think, environmentalists at the end of the day, Brent, I think the important thing is, is to not scare the children, but to help educate them to the topic. And of course, we know that oil and gas has to be, you know, a part of it. Now, you recently released a paper. Um, it's titled The Danger Precedence, How the Endangered Finding Expands the EPA Regulatory Powers. And we're going to get into that when we come back from break. I want our listeners to try to understand a little bit more about the history of how, the, first of all, the Clean Air Act was created and what was it designed to do, and then how under the Obama administration, it became a lot more complicated and not so much following some of the legal positions that were being put out by the Supreme Court and others. And I want to get into that, but we do have to take a quick break. You're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. 
the 23rd World Petroleum Congress brings the global industry to the energy capital of the world, Houston, Texas, December 5th through 9th, 2021, for a week of forward-looking conversation that will shape the future of energy. The Congress will be centered around the theme of innovative energy solutions, drawing inspiration from the innovative spirit of the industry over the decades. Delegates can expect robust strategic, technical, and U.S. programs with perspectives from government leaders, CEOs, academia, and other expert speakers on the industry trends, as well as creative solutions and best practices to address current energy challenges. Delegates will have the opportunity to attend industry inside luncheons and numerous networking events that will build new professional relationships and strengthen existing ones. Also, they can explore the Congress exhibition where leading international companies will showcase their innovations. Make your mark at the World Petroleum Congress and be a part of the beginning of what's next. To learn more and register, visit www.23wpchouston.com. That's www.23wpchouston.com. Hi, I'm Kim Bilotto, wanting to talk to you about how to age gracefully. As a woman, my appearance is important to me. It makes me feel good about myself when I feel I'm taking care of myself. And I have been visiting a woman for many years who has helped me with my wrinkles, my skin's elasticity. And you know, a lot of people think it's really just involving women, but it's not. Many, many men also seek treatments as they see the aging process occurring. I visit Cynthia, my friend of many years, who is a master injector for San Antonio Cosmetic Surgery. I feel very comfortable going to her and allowing her to just do her work on me. Pick up the phone, call Cynthia, make an appointment and see what she can do for you because it has taken years off of me. So if you want a free consultation with Cynthia, give them a call at 210-641-4320. Again, the number is 210-614-4320. Or you can visit their website at sanantoniocosmeticsurgery.net. Be sure to tell them that Kim within the Oil Patch Radio Show sent you. We're back. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio show. Our guest today is Brent Bennett, PhD, Policy Director for Life Power. Brent, before the break, we were kind of discussing some things that were not specific to the paper that you recently released through the Texas Public Policy Foundation. This report, it, it kind of goes into the EPA's regulatory powers and how really dangerous this is becoming in many ways, and, and for especially the people that are listening, I don't think this doesn't involve you because it does involve you. Um, so let's begin with, first of all, the Clean Air Act. We all are familiar with it. Um, it, uh, it was designed to do what when it, when it was originally created? Walk us through that. Yeah, so um, the, the Clean Air Act is actually an outgrowth of a lot of um, a lot of kind of efforts among the states um, that actually the, the state of Texas had a, was one of the first states to adopt air pollution regulations back in the sixties. Um, basically to, you know, at the time, and some people might be old enough to remember, um, you know, air pollution was a problem in, in the United States and you know, right. we didn't really have all, all equipment. Uh, we just invented the catalytic converter for vehicles. Um, and so the clean, the federal Clean Air Act was devised as to ensure kind of consistent uh, pollution control regulations and consistent adoption of pollution control equipment throughout the country. Um, and it was specifically designed for local pollution 
from, you know, like soot and smog, you know, things that, you know, you used to have, we used to have in our cities, right? Um, and, and it was not conceived to go really beyond that. Um, and it was also not really conceived in, in the sense of, you know, it, it, it was conceived as a way to, okay, we're going to, you know, we want to make sure that we achieve safe levels of, of air quality and that's it. It wasn't conceived as a way of, you know, continuing to this, this what we see today, which is this continuous drive for more regulation, right? And there was not really the, the, the framers of the Clean Air Act didn't really see how the way they were writing it allowed for this, what we see now, which is this continual, like, every, you know, every five years we see the, you know, the air quality regulations getting ratcheted down, ratcheted down, right, because of the, the kind of the advocacy effort of, of a lot of groups and a lot of politicians and, and regulators as well. So it's that, that kind of that, that the growth of, of regulation in the administrative state was not something that was conceived um, by, the, by the frames of the Clean Air Act. It also did not conceive of, of regulating greenhouse gases and carbon dioxide. Uh, it was, you know, this was the 1970s and before that really was an issue. Um, and so it was only you know, later on in the 2000s that that, uh, that actually uh, that possibility was opened up by the Supreme Court. So I'll stop there. But I just that was kind of the, okay, well. Let's yeah, no, let's get into that because um, we are going to take a break here shortly. But what do you say to the listener? I know that we have to have at least one that is saying, well, okay. Maybe under the Clean Air Act, it wasn't specifically designed to cover greenhouse gases because we really didn't know about them. But now that we mm -hmm. do know about them, and um, it's such a big topic, why would a group be opposed to having the EPA uh, have the oversight on that? And then there is big problems with it. So I'm not saying that I, I agree with it at all. I'm, I'm saying it makes it to where I would think that a listener who's unfamiliar with the topic would say that's perfectly fine and we should be looking and greenhouse mm -hmm. gases and we should be looking at how do we clean uh, the quality of our air and, and protect our planet and so you have all these things running together but I, I want to give you an opportunity to discuss that but we're going to get ready for a break here you're listening to the Little Patch Radio Show. SR Trident is a veteran-owned and operated industrial construction company established in 2012 by co-founder Stephen Snyder and Ryan Berthold SR Trident has positioned itself as an expert in the industrial construction sector. With mounting business expansions, they've assembled a team of skilled, experienced, and able individuals who are dedicated to meeting client needs as they evolve. SR Trident's safety record is impeccable as they've won a number of awards, including the ABC National Safety Excellence Award in 2020. With exceptional leadership and experience driving their gains, SR Trident can tackle any project and are ready to let their talent be the driving force in the energy industry. Call today, 361-776-2662 or visit online at srtrident.com to request a bid proposal today. Shale Oil & Gas Business Magazine provides services like print advertising and digital marketing. Our digital advertising services include website, email, radio, video, and social media. Shale also provides specialized web services from website management to search engine optimization and social media management. Visit our website, shalemag.com. 
Once again, that's shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G dot com to learn more. Shale is your one-stop shop for growing your business. Pick up the phone today and call 210-240-7188. Again, 210-240-7188. And we're back. You're listening to In the Old Patch Radio Show. Our guest today is Brent Bennett. You are the public policy director for uh, Life Power. And Brent, before the, the break, you know, the Clean Air Act, you, you discussed it and, and how uh, back in the 60s, it was really designed to clean the air quality. We remember growing up, if you were old enough, uh, we had air quality days and we don't seem to have that anymore. But there also seems to be a discussion that the EPA's regulatory powers are expanding exponentially. And that doesn't necessarily mean that's a good thing, because when you're starting to push greenhouse gases and other things like CO2 in there, and we're, like you said earlier, having a lot of regulatory um, powers over this, uh, it can also lead to unintended consequences, in my opinion. So let's start with, um, we know it's been successful, but let's not get them confused. Take it from there. Explain to us the differences. Yeah, and so, the, again, the Clean Air Act was designed to regulate kind of local pollutants, um, and, and it's been very – we've been very successful at that. We've reduced, uh, you know, pollutants that we know cause harm to people, like, um, you know, like, like soot and smog, particulates. Uh, we've reduced the emissions of those almost 80 percent uh, since 1970, since the Clean Air Act was implemented. Um, so our adoption of technology and our improvement on that pollution control technology has been very successful and, uh, and so we shouldn't forget that, that, that there have been a lot of successes there. Um, the problem is that the Clean Air Act was designed to regulate those types of pollutants. It was not designed to regulate uh, something like greenhouse ga- gases, which, first of all, you know, carbon dioxide, methane, and other greenhouse gases don't harm people directly, right? You know, we breathe yeah. out carbon dioxide every time we breathe, right? It's mm-hmm. perfect, perfectly fine to have it in the atmosphere. Um, you know, unlike, you know, particulates and ozone, ground level ozone and other things, right? So it's a fundamentally different, different uh, type of gas than, you know, than, other, than all the other pollutants that are regulated by, um, by uh, the Clean Air Act. So that's one thing. The second of all is that it's, it's global in nature, right? So when we, when we um, you know, when our cars belch out smog, for example, or in, in particulates, in an area, they tend to stay in that area, right? So if you if you clean up if you clean up that that area, then you're generally your pollution problem goes away. But um, you know greenhouse gases are, are are spread out evenly throughout the, around the globe, right? So whatever we emit here in the United States has the same effect of, as what China emits, and and so on, right? So again, so the Clean Air Act was not designed to regulate something like this, something that has an indirect effect on people. Not a direct effect, and also something that is and that is a global issue and not a local issue. So um, let's then so switch gears and talk. Do you want to talk about the 2007 Supreme Court determination, Massachusetts versus EPA, because that was kind of also included in here on EPA's rulings that they did have, um, or they did have to decide whether it was going to endanger human health uh, to a degree. Mm-hmm. That was going to be then, of course, regulated by the Clean Air Act. So, talk to me right. about that. Yeah. So the 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 
so in, in the in 2007, which which was the, kind of the culmination of almost a decade long effort by uh, a lot of environmental groups to list uh, greenhouse gases as pollutants under the Clean Air Act. So again, the the, the Clean Air Act uh, allows the EPA to list um, to list certain agents and chemicals as air pollutants and gases as, as air pollutants, right? And up to that point, the EPA had not done so for greenhouse gases um, because they found they had found, in which we agree with, uh, that greenhouse gases are not an air pollutant in, in the sense that the Clean Air Act defines them. However, um, these petitioned and worked through the court system all the way up to the Supreme Court to get uh, carbon dioxide and other greenhouse gases listed as air pollutants under the Clean Air Act. So that, that was the that was a decision by the Supreme Court in 2007 in Massachusetts versus EPA was to list the greenhouse gases as pollutants. Therefore, the EPA had to had to make a determination whether to regulate them or not. Um, they could not just say, well, we're not going to make a decision there. They had to make a decision one way or another. Um, and when the Obama administration came in in 2009, <clears throat> uh, naturally that, that door was open for them to make the determination that, yes, we should regulate greenhouse gases, and and then we have the full force of the Clean Air Act uh, that we can use to go about enacting those regulations. And so that's what we've seen happen since then. So really, was that court case was really key because it, it imputed uh, into the Clean Air Act something that had not been imputed before, which is that greenhouse gases could be regulated under the regime uh, developed for other pollutants, which have which are totally different from. CO2, right? Um, mm -hmm. And, and that, that's what's led to the problems that have uh, come up since then. You know, the methane rule, the clean power plan, all these regulations that came up under the Obama administration, the, the new fuel economy regulations, um, it, it's all because we've opened the door uh, to that regulation uh, through that Supreme Court decision. And, and, you know, Brent, I'm, I know we have another listener that's listening saying, well, what's wrong with that? I mean, <clears throat> that sounds like a great thing, except when you think about the broad interpretation that the EPA authority would have in regulating these GHGs, it would mean that it would almost regulate, there's no industry that would be safe from it, and the fallout from it as well with the EPA's reach would be, you know, vast, not to mention, and, and so the, for the person listening, how this affects you is, you can picture almost every single thing going up because the more regulation that comes into play, the obviously it's going to be passed on to the consumer, right? So rather we're talking about a vehicle that you're purchasing or the prices at the pump or paying for groceries in the grocery store, um, your utility bills. I mean, everything, makeup, um, every single thing that we use on a daily basis is actually uh, involving only gas. So this could have very, very large implications. When we get back from break, I want to get into a broader discussion on that. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Psst. Hey, you. Do you want to join the fastest growing oil and gas network in Texas? Ma'am, I'm all for growing my business. So you've got my attention. What is it? TEAK is the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition. They hold business mixers to help businesses grow and network. Any cost to join? For the next 90 days, it's completely free. No charge to join. But they do want like-minded individuals to attend who are interested in growing their business and networking. Well, I want to join. Where should I go? Go to shalemag.com slash TEAK. 
and click on the join link. Enter your information and we'll get you set up. Join the Texas Energy Advocates Coalition at shalemag.com slash teak today. Are you a business owner feeling overwhelmed where to begin your business's online presence? Maybe you've spent thousands of dollars in the past just to be highly disappointed with the results. We understand because we were once you. Since then, we decided to hire the very best experts to help us and you. Let us send you our business profile that will quickly show you your Google business rankings in these five areas. Reputation, ratings online, website, advertising and social media, and search engine optimization. All of these areas really affect how Google ranks your entire listing. So if ranking on page one is your goal, pick up the phone and call us now, 210-240-7188, or simply go to shalemag.com slash business profile. We'll be in contact with you within 24 hours. Once again, pick up the phone and call us now, 210-240-7188, or simply go to shalemag.com. That's S-H-A-L-E-M-A-G.com slash business profile. Start dealing with a company you can trust and always find. We're back. You're listening to In the Little Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Brent Bennett, PhD, Public Policy Director for Life Power. And Brent, before the break, we've been discussing a report that you guys released, Texas Public Policy Foundation. Um, and I want to move to the endangerment uh, finding. Uh, basically, uh, in your report, you talk about a regulatory car wreck. Yet we know that... Um, you know, everything has been moving in a much better way when we talk about air admissions, climate death relate, relate, uh, related deaths are down by 99% since the 1920s. We seem like we are moving in the right direction, but it seems like the government is moving into more of a regulatory car wreck. So tell me what the regulatory car wreck is that we're facing. <laughs> yeah, I think, I think you make a good point that um, the, 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 the technology and the wealth that we have is, is making our environment cleaner and is keeping us safe from the climate. Um, that's, you know, that's driving, that's driving that change. And yet, um, and yet we're being told that things are getting worse, that the government must do more to regulate, uh, so on. It's a complete dichotomy, uh, between what's actually happening in reality and, and what we're being told is happening, what, what's being told by more regulations. So I think that's, that's an important point to make. Uh, the second point is, yeah, the, so the engagement finding itself refers to uh, the finding for emissions from vehicles, right? So that was what was issued in 2009. Um, the, extent, the extensions of that are being applied, trying to be applied to power plants, to, to methane emissions from oil and gas and so on. But the fundamental the original finding applied to emissions from vehicles. And it's used to justify now, it's being used to justify increasing fuel economy regulations um, on vehicles, right? So, um, mm-hmm. the, so the, the, there's actually a rulemaking currently going under, underway. The Biden administration has initiated a rulemaking to update the fuel economy standards for vehicles uh, through the next decade to try, basically to try and force, uh, force our way into having you know, 50% of the vehicles being sold within the next decade, uh, you know, a decade from now are electric vehicles, right? So, which now electric vehicles make up about two, 3% of the market. Um, so again, the, 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 
the the benefits of this to to reducing greenhouse gas emissions are not even measurable. I mean, the the, the emissions reductions of increasing the efficiency and going to electric vehicles are aren't, are barely even measurable. Um, you know, our our air pollution is already very low, um, so there's not going to be a big effect on on you know if we take half the cars off the road like we did during COVID, there was not a big effect on air pollution. Um, the greenhouse gases that are emitted are are minuscule. Um, and the effect on the global climate is not even going to be measurable. And yet they're able to use the, the mechanisms of the Clean Air Act to continue to ratchet up the fuel economy regulations and to increase the – basically they, say, they, they do it by saying that you can only emit so, many, uh, so much uh, greenhouse gases per mile driven. Uh, and they ratchet up those regulations to basically force this, this agenda of, of – you know, saying, well, we all get, you know, we're going to have 50% electric vehicles by, by 2030, right? So there's, there's no, there's no real like scientific justification for doing that under the Clean Air Act. But yet now they have, the, they have the ability to do that because of the way the law is written and because of the, because of the endangerment finding. Uh, and so they can push that agenda absent, absent, you know, any real scientific justification and also absent any directive from Congress, right? Congress has not passed a law that says we should do that. Um, and, there, and, and there's been no directive from Congress to go in that direction. So it's, it's really, uh, it's, it's extremely powerful and extremely dangerous that, you know, the, the president by himself and the, and the executive branch by itself uh, is able to do this. And you know, in your report, you discussed from 2010 to 12, the cafe standard um, is not such a good cup of coffee, but really what that is, and I do encourage our listeners to go and read the entire report. But basically, in these new rulings that were being that are being pushed out, they're going to have severe financial consequences on automakers and consumers. In your report, you, you discuss how they're going to force adoption of smaller and more expensive vehicles. And I remember when gas was really super high, everyone was in smaller vehicles because they just couldn't afford uh, gas. So it looks like that that's where we're trying to return to. But then it's also, are they as safe? I mean, I think the consumer needs to understand it. It might sound great, an electric vehicle, but how are you going to charge it without oil and gas one? And they're, they are expensive and you have to pull over and, and charge them up. Um, and you're still going to need gas. And these uh, batteries that are in them, um, they have, uh, maybe at some point they become uh, safer, but currently right now they can explode on impact on if they have a wreck. And it's not easy to put them out of the batteries if they have a fire. I mean, there's a whole list of things that the consumers don't quite understand if you're being forced to have to get an EV vehicle here very soon. And the expenses, those batteries, um, are extremely expensive to have to repurchase one. This is not a $150 battery we're talking about. So what do you say to those people that, it, you know, this is part of the problem, right? Is that these unintended consequences by the EPA making these decisions to continue to push climate change on us, but the unintended consequences is, I see it, the less, um, the more vulnerable, the individuals who live off of a, um, a monthly check um, and people who are indigent to some degree are going to have the biggest problem of being able to afford anything even remotely like this. I'll give you the last word on this. Yeah, and um, 
of course, you're asking a former battery engineer to talk about electric vehicles. That's a, the, I could talk forever about that. But I think the I think the main point is that, and you bring up you bring up all these consequences that could that are that are could potentially happen because of this rulemaking. And what we've done now is invest the entirety of that of what of those policy decisions. The entirety of that decision of, of that is within the executive branch now, within the EPA. Mm -hmm. uh, these are decisions that Congress needs to be making. These are decisions that need to be weighed by our elected leaders in a, in a public right. manner, you know, and debated in that way. Like that's how that's how we designed our government. We didn't design it so that we could that all this authority would be delegated to elected bureaucrats. Um, and and so it, that's really I think the dangerous element of what's going on here is that. Um, you know, whatever the pros and cons of, of electric vehicles and of improving, you know, or, or raising fuel economy regulations are, is the fact that all of this is being decided uh, underneath the executive branch at the whims of the president and unelected bureaucrats and not being debated within the halls of Congress. And they are subjectable to whoever is putting campaign contributions the most in their party. So I do agree. Well, Brent, unfortunately, that is all the time that we have for this show, but I do look forward to having you back on. Great report. And for anyone who wants to get their hands on this entire uh, white paper, I encourage you to visit Texas Public Policy Foundation Life Powered uh, article written by Brett Bennett, PhD. Brent, thank you for coming on the show. We look forward to having you back on. And hopefully we can talk about the educational uh, curriculum that you guys are working on soon. Yeah, absolutely. Jason, I'd be happy to come on. Yeah, visit lifepower.org for more information. And uh, there'll be a follow-up paper to this paper coming out pretty soon as well. Thank you. Thank you. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bilotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.